The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. This is the Bloomberg Daybake Hewitt podcast, available every morning on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's Wednesday, the 14th of February. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, a surprise jump in US inflation leads to a market rethink of Fed rate cuts. Global bonds erase all their gains since Jerome Powell's dovish pivot in December. Plus, Russia's migrant workforce in Ukraine, how the Kremlin is luring people for construction jobs, only to put many on the front line. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. US inflation rose across the board in January in a shock that spooked markets. Monthly, annual and core CPI readings all came in higher than forecast, with core rising by 3.9% year on year. Wells Fargo Chief Economist Jay Bryson says it's a warning to anyone expecting imminent central bank cuts. The Fed is not going to make a decision based on one data point. They're going to take the totality of the data and they're going to look at it when they when they make a decision. Now, is is March is a rate cut going to happen in March? Knowing what I know right now, probably not. But you know, May is still a long way away. We still have a long data between now and May, and we'll see how the whole totality of the data pan out between now and then. Others say that Bryson's view that May is the next possible date is still too optimistic. Double Line's Jeffrey Gundlach told CNBC markets have tremendously overpriced the amount of Fed rate cuts this year. Well, the S&P 500 fell 1.4% in its worst CPI day since September 2022 as traders reacted to that inflation data. Global bonds uh, and global bond markets have lost all gains now since Fed Chair Jerome Powell's pivot in December, that is, dropping 3.5% this year. But BlackRock Investments head Jean Boivin says that the long-term story hasn't changed. The market is overreacting. I mean, that has been the story for the last 18 months. Uh, we've seen that in December with the shocker FOMC. Massive rally, right? And now uh, six got expected in 2024. That was overextended. I think that's getting uh, corrected as we speak. But I think the broader story will be uh, one where inflation is going to continue to trend down over the next few months. We're going to see cuts. Despite Boivin's long-term view, the stock market's fear gauge, the VIX, surged the most since October. UK inflation data out this morning is expected to also accelerate in January. Bloomberg Economics estimates UK CPI will rise by 10 basis points from December's 4% figure. Traders paired bets on Bank of England cuts after wage data yesterday, pushing the timing of the first expected reduction to September. 
Now on to some corporate news. Standard Chartered is considering breaking up its corporate and investment banking arms. The move would leave to job cuts similar to those seen at Piers, Citigroup and Goldman Sachs recently. According to people familiar with the matter, the lender has been considering options to boost returns after souring loans tied to Chinese real estate affected profitability. Lyft mistakenly predicted a 500 basis point expansion in margins this year, but had to acknowledge it was a clerical error. The figure was eventually corrected to a 50 basis point uplift, but not before shares in the ride-hailing provider surged by 67%. The inaccuracy overshadowed what was a solid beat on profits and bookings as the company continues to challenge competitor Uber. Bloomberg's Natalie Lung says catching up with the market leader will prove difficult. They're kind of um, in, a, in a tough spot in comparison to Uber, who has the scale uh, of international markets and as well as scale in other uh, verticals like delivery and advertising. Uh, so for Lyft, the concern is also how much can they balance in terms of offering incentives to get more drivers over from Uber and how much subsidies in, in that sense. And especially because they announced like a 70% pay guarantee last week, sort of um, attract more drivers onto the platform. Bloomberg's tech reporter Natalie Lung there. Despite the oversight, Lyft CEO, CFO Aaron Brewer said the company entered 2024 with a lot of momentum. And finally, Democrat Tom Swasey has won the special election for New York's third congressional district. That's according to the Associated Press. The race, sparked by George Santos's expulsion from Congress, was seen as a bellwether head of the presidential vote later this year. Bloomberg's Laura Naimas says that national politics played a big role in voters' minds. We did talk to some voters out in the district who said that they were casting their ballots for Swazi because they wanted Democrats to retake control of the House, less because of any personal attachment to Tom Swazi, although people seem to like him fine enough, than because they wanted control of, of the House of Representatives to switch back to the Democrats. That was Bloomberg's Laura Naimias. Now Swazi's win narrows the Republicans' razor-thin majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, in just a moment, we are going to dig into the brewing crisis in the commercial property sector. We're also going to bring you details of how migrant workers who are looking to move to Russia are ending up digging trenches in occupied territories in Ukraine. That's some of our special reporting here uh, on Bloomberg this morning. But firstly, a a word on the issue that we raised yesterday about TUI investors, whether or not uh, shareholders were going to vote in favour of delisting away from the London Stock Exchange. That vote came through last night and more than 98% of shareholders present at the AGM on Tuesday voted in favour of the resolution. It is really another blow to the London Stock Exchange. Quite miserable uh, to know that. But uh, the German travel giant uh, has a big business in Germany and, yeah, voters, certainly shareholders, saw the advantage. Yeah, I mean, look, they've talked about it being simpler for a trading structure, better for liquidity and support for EU airline ownership being part of the reasons uh, that the German firm decided to delist from London. Of course, they're not the only ones that have done so in recent Mm. years. Ryanair, for example, delisted in 2021 from the London 
Stock Exchange blaming Brexit compliance issues. And then, of course, we've had the the flurry of firms moving to the US or changing their primary listing to the US as well. Mm. Um, CRH, the Irish buildings firm among them. Arm, of course, famously choosing to uh, hold its IPO in the US as well. Yeah, although I've heard the flip side argument, you know, that perhaps this will be the year of better deals, more IPOs for London, you know, can the London Stock Exchange uh, and the UK sort of turn things around this year? Will this be the golden year? We shall see. Anyway, one of the stories that interested us this morning. Let's get more now, though, on the market reaction to that hotter-than-expected inflation print in the US. A rethink of the path ahead for Fed rates has led to global bonds erasing all gains since Jerome Powell's dovish pivot in December. Our executive editor for Asia Markets, Paul Dobson, is with us for more now. Paul, talk us through what's been happening then on bond markets since that CPI print yesterday. Yeah, well, um, and it's been pretty clear cut. Uh, there was a pretty um, terrific sell off in US Treasuries uh, that came through in the immediate aftermath of the CPI number. And that's filtered through to Asian markets as well with high yields in Australia and New Zealand in particular, but also uh, Japan and across the region. Uh, the, the basic idea being that, you know, if the Fed is going to keep interest rates higher for longer, then that's going to have implications for what central banks all around the rest of the world are going to be doing as well. And the Fed, you know, to be fair to them, has been telling us for a long time that they need to see more evidence that inflation is cooling before they're willing to countenance uh, a cut to interest rates. Uh, This uh, figure that we had in the CPI uh, certainly did not give us much evidence of that at all. Uh, yes, it was uh, it was slower month on month, but it fell uh, less than analysts had forecast. And particularly when you dug into the details and looked at the core number, which flatlined, and the super core number people like to point to, which actually increased, um, then there, there's plenty for people to, to worry about the idea that inflation hasn't yet been vanquished and is still needing to be dealt with by the Fed. Okay. How much further away then does a rate cut look now compared to where we were yesterday? Yeah. So, well, if you go by market pricing, then traders uh, before yesterday had been pricing in Kurt still probably at the May meeting, maybe June. Now we're not seeing any full move until July being priced in. And the market has more or less come back into line with what the Fed has been telling us in its dot plot for a while, pricing in just a little bit more than three cuts for the whole of the year now, as opposed to, if you think back to December time, pricing in six or so cuts. So there's been quite a big repricing of that. And that is the reason why the bond market has uh, been pushing those yields higher. This is a story, Paul, that's also playing out on currency markets. We've seen the Japanese yen weakening past 150 per dollar for the first time since November. And this has provoked some reaction from Japanese officials. Yeah, absolutely. So the, one of the consequences of the higher US Treasury yields is that it makes the dollar look a more appealing place for you to park your cash because the idea being that you're going to get paid higher interest on any deposits in that currency. On the flip side of that, it weakens all the rest of the world's currencies. And so in particular, in our region, that's been marked by a big move in the yen again particularly as it pushed through the 150 level, which isn't you know, significant other than the fact that psychologically it's a big round number. But um, it's more the pace of the moves that Japanese officials don't like, and that tends to get them complaining. Uh, right at the start of the, the Asia morning, we had the comments, first of all, from Kanda, who's the currency chief, and then backed up by Suzuki, the finance minister, saying they're paying a lot of attention to these FX moves. Too rapid moves is something that can destabilize markets and that they don't want to see that happen. So normally, 
normally what we get in terms of the sort of scale and rhetoric from Japanese government would be these kind of throat clearing and warning signs and then they sort of step up the verbal intervention before they would get to a level where they would actually physically intervene in the currency market but the fact that they're starting to talk a little bit more aggressively now does have traders on edge and was sufficient to at least stabilize the yen in today's trading session. Okay, Paul, thank you so much for your time this morning. That is Bloomberg's executive editor for Asia Markets, Paul Dobson. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Of course, another factor of the high interest rate story is the effect that it's having on commercial real estate tumbling prices for office buildings from New York to Tokyo, causing waves in parts of the financial world. There are concerns the contagion could spread too. Bloomberg's Neil Callanan joins us now for more details on today's Bloomberg Big Take report on this issue. Neil, great to have you with us. We have been hearing warnings about problems in commercial real estate for months now. Remind us how we got to this point. Good morning, Stephen. It's simply that central banks raised interest rates and after years of pushing people into alternative investments like commercial real estate, prices there had become very high, the equivalent in offices of, in some cases, of 40 years rent. And once interest rates began to rise, prices automatically began to fall. Also importantly, the banks began to pull back from lending to commercial real estate because the prices were falling. So that kind of added to the mixture that risk becoming toxic now around commercial real estate and in particular the office market. Mm. How big are the losses then in the sector and also how widespread is this an issue? This is a very much a global issue but so far there is no big number on top of it. Probably the closest we've had is Barry Sternick from Starwood last week estimated that a trillion dollars has been wiped off the value of the office market alone. Malls had already been falling for 10 years because of online shopping, but the office sector was viewed as very safe as recently as 2021. It's literally the rise of work from home has changed that. So aside from a couple of examples like maybe Korea and Japan, office values are falling globally and falling quite quickly. And in fact, there is a school of thought that the appraised values, which is the official values at which properties are are, are held, has a, have a, quite a way to go before they reach where the market is at. And Sternick, interestingly, was speaking about that he's build, bidding up buildings at the moment in the US at up to 75% discount to what they had sold up previously. We have started to see lenders finally starting to acknowledge 
this crisis by provisioning for losses. What comes next in this, Leo? Yeah, that's the beginning, really, of the next phase. Uh, I would describe what, what's happening as being at the end of the beginning because it's going to move from commercial real estate and being a landlord problem to partially becoming a lender problem now. Uh, and that's because there is so much debt starting to mature that it's harder for the banks just to amend what's called amend and extend the loans, which is what they've been doing so far. Because the banks don't want to take to repossess properties. They're not good at managing them. So they always want to find an easy solution. And, and the mantra was, let's uh, use a survive until 25 strategy. So keep the landlords and, uh, going until then. But interest rates obviously are very high, uh, about one trillion of debt. Uh, matures this year um, and now with the inflation prints it's looking less and less likely like we will get as many interest rate cuts as the market was pricing in and that all adds up to making it very very difficult for people to continue to ignore these things regulators are also worried we saw with nycb that there was regulator involvement in some of the announcements they made the ecb has also been very active in europe in this regard um, and so those are kind of points of tension that will help bring clarity to the market this year. The other key point is to watch for when private equity actually starts buying these assets. Um, they are sitting on huge amounts of dry powder, but so far they don't think values have fallen to the point where they're willing to do lots and lots of deals. So there's still gonna be some tension between those two factors over the next few months, but eventually prices will get marked down and more deals will start coming through. Okay, Neil, thank you so much for being with us. Bloomberg's corporate finance are Neil Callanan. A very interesting story then, putting some sort of size and scope and time frame around what could be the commercial uh, office issue with very high interest rates. Yeah, particularly in focus this morning as we're considering how much longer we may have to wait before we start to get interest rate cuts. So great to put that in focus today too. We want to take you to a story next linked to Russia's war in Ukraine. Russia's relying on thousands of workers from neighbouring countries to undertake multi-billion dollar reconstruction efforts in the occupied territories it holds in Ukraine. Job seekers coming to Russia are being sent to Ukraine to work on construction projects but have at times wound up digging trenches and fighting on the battlefield. Bloomberg's Greg Sullivan joins us now for more on on this story. Greg, where are these workers coming from and how are they ending up in Ukraine? Um, that's right. There are thousands of these migrant workers. They're they're largely coming from uh, areas like former Soviet Union states or CIS states like Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Belarus. Um, a lot of laborers come to Russia from Armenia. Um, they, they, what, what's, they often come to Russia. So this is not necessarily a new trend in that. Um, in December, Putin said there were some 10 million uh, migrant workers working in Russia. But what is new is that they're ending up going to Ukraine for work. Um, there's construction jobs being posted, like one ad that we saw that had wages for construction in occupied Ukraine for nearly twice what a worker could make in a factory in Moscow. And that's even as uh, wages have risen in Russia due to a labor shortage fueled by the war. Um, The problem is that now that they're going to Ukraine for work, but they end up digging trenches or even end up being persuaded or compelled to fight in some cases, according to our report. So it's a it's a really complicated situation. Yeah. Tell us about the reconstruction effort, though. How important is that to the Kremlin? How does it relate to the occupation of these territories? 
Well, it does appear to be quite important to Putin and to the, the Kremlin. Um, Putin recently said that uh, the reconstruction in these areas was a key priority for him. A lot of these areas were damaged very badly. Um, they've been at the center of some heavy of some of the heaviest fighting. Um, occupied Mariupol, which we talk about in the in the story, was pretty much destroyed after a Russian siege. Um, so the reconstruction efforts uh, are part of a strategy by the Kremlin to sort of solidify control over these areas. Um, alongside that, they've been trying to turn these areas into Russia, um, sometimes changing street names, um, incorporating Russian curriculum in the schools. Um, only a fraction of the pre-war population remains, but, but these do seem like big efforts and the, the size and scope of these construction uh, does seem to be quite large. Greg, these are, of course, people, as you say, who are migrant workers. What happens to them when they return home? Well, a lot of things, according to our reporting, um, we've we've found scenarios ranging from them being almost trapped or deported to recruited to fight in Ukraine. Um, if these do, workers do end up fighting, they do risk being um, tried for mercenary activities in places like Kazakhstan, Belarus, Uzbekistan, and Kyrgyzstan. And just last year, there were cases of people being sentenced to jail for fighting for Russia. Um, just working in these countries is considered criminal by Ukraine and potentially some of those home countries. Uh, we were told by a human rights lawyer of cases where workers who ended up in Ukraine voluntarily for work uh, didn't have their salaries paid. And then when they tried to leave to re-enter Russia, they weren't allowed. So a, a lot of things can happen to these workers. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.